If you're a believer listening to my voice, you need a battle plan because you are in a battle, but the battle belongs to the Lord. And the book of James gives us a battle plan, a battle plan for the world, the flesh, the devil, the spiritual battle that we all face. And if we read the scriptures and apply them and lean into the Lord and trust in him and clothe ourselves with the armor of God, we will experience consistent victory. More on that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. If we don't collectively submit to God, we give a foothold to the enemy to get into the church. And he does it. We give him a foothold with unresolved anger and petty fights. We're in a struggle. 1 Peter 5.9 says, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Jonathan Edwards said, The best protection one can have from the devil and his schemes is a humble heart. One of the devil's primary purposes is to separate God and man. If he can cause the Christian to lean on his own ability and pride and strength, he is one. I want to show you a battle scene. Turn to the book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, second book of your Bible. Exodus 17, familiar story. The children of Israel have crossed the Red Sea. They've sung the song of Moses, Exodus 17. God uh, describes himself as Yahweh Rapha, their healer. He says, if you follow me in my ways, then I will not put the same diseases that I put on the uh, Egyptians. God gives them manna in Exodus 16, the bread of heaven, if you will, that comes down and feeds them. In the first part of Exodus 17, they don't have water. They cry about it. And Moses strikes the rock and water comes out miraculously. Right after those miracles and the nation kind of getting its feet grounded, if you will, after they test the Lord, they say in Exodus 17, 7, is the Lord among us or not? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How much do you need to see? Ten plagues weren't enough for you? The opening of the Red Sea wasn't enough for you? The drowning of the Egyptian army wasn't enough for you? The manna from heaven, the water from the rock. How many miracles do you need to see? Just one more. Just one more. Here's what happens. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses, Exodus 17, 9, said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him, fought against Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Verse 12. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands we need friends. We need brothers. We need sisters in Christ when we get tired. It's another way that God dispenses grace is through the body of Christ. 
One was on his one side, the one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. And so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial, recite it to Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar, verse 15, and named it, the Lord is my banner. Many of you have heard this. It's Jehovah Nisi, N-I-S-S-I, or Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And he said, the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek or the Amalekites from generation to generation. Everybody look at your Bible and notice the altar that Moses erected was named Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. There's a lot of studies that have been done on the Hebrew word here. Nisi, it can mean refuge, it can mean help, it can mean the Lord is my victory, the Lord is my help, the Lord is my refuge. Um, you can think of a banner, it's translated the Lord is my banner where uh, ancient armies would fight under the banners uh, or the flags of their gods. So they would have something that would be a symbol of their god on the flag or the banner. They would march out. The children of Israel marched behind the ark quite often. And Nisi, interestingly enough, could be rendered, the Lord is the one I lean on. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is the one I lean on. Who do you lean on? I was talking with Dr. Green, a good friend who studies the Hebrew language, and he said, you know, after you discover that that may well be what Nisi means, the Lord is the one I lean on, everybody wants to break out, lean on me when you're not strong. Not, come on. I'll help you carry on. Okay, that's enough. Anyway. This is what James is saying. If you want to win the battle, you must lean on the Lord. Who have you been leaning on? I think our lives will show that reality just by what's been happening. Back to the book of James. If you lean on the Lord, if you submit to God, the devil will flee from you. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. If you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. When Jesus was facing Satan in the temptation we all know about, Jesus' main weapon against the devil was what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And three times when Satan tempted Jesus, here's how you do it, folks. Jesus responded, it is written. He showed us that in the moment, if you want to win battles against the enemy, you stand upon the Word of God. Interestingly enough, in Ephesians 6, 17, when it says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's not logos for word. It's rhema. And the word rhema in Greek means a specific word for a specific moment to a specific need. In other words, it's not any Bible verse at that moment. 
It's the right Bible verse. So if the enemy's coming at you and saying, you're worthless, then you quote, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If the enemy says, you aren't even worth loving, you can quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself up for me. It's a rhema word in the moment against the enemy, and he will flee. And after three temptations and three responses from the word, using the sword, the master swordsman showed us how to do it, the devil fled from him and waited, <laughs> here's the caveat, for a more opportune time. Just because he flees doesn't mean he won't be back. It's not just one battle. Wouldn't that be nice? Okay, I used the sword. Let's put that away. I don't need my Bible anymore. I'll just, uh... No, 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 no. This is an ongoing battle. But the battle belongs to the Lord. And all you have to do is access his resources. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at verse 8. We've only done one verse. That shouldn't surprise any of us. <laughs> verse 8. Draw near to God if you want to experience this grace, and he will what? He will draw near to you. Sometimes I think we feel like, you know, God, if you show up here, then I'll respond. But from James' perspective, he's saying don't invert that. If you want to experience intimacy with God, you've got to draw near to him and then he will what? Draw near to you. Don't invert it. There's no doubt that the Lord is the hound of heaven. There's no doubt that he's gracious. There's no doubt that the Holy Spirit lives in us. But still, intimacy in relationship, just as a basic principle, relationships 101, doesn't happen unless you make a move. You can't have a close relationship with a friend or a spouse or someone you want to get to know unless you make a move toward intimacy, unless you draw near to them. But when you draw near, he'll draw near to you. He says, come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. He bids me come to a throne of grace to receive mercy. He says, come, come. But if I don't respond, then I'm probably not going to experience closeness with God. But if I draw near, he will draw near. Here's where we get into the book of Frank. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. You can think of cleansing your hands as the outward washing. And of course, ceremonial washing was very important in approaching God in the uh, Old Testament, right? And purify your hearts. That's the inside, if you will. And then James says, you double-minded. He's come full circle. He already said that there, in James 1.5, take a peek. He said, look, there are some of you who are lacking wisdom. Look at James 1.5. And God will give generously to you, but you need to ask James 1.6 in faith without doubting. For those who doubt are like the surf of the sea, driven by the wind. Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. James 1.8 being what? A double-minded man. 
Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Look at James 1.5. And God will give generously to you, but you need to ask James 1.6 in faith without doubting for those who doubt are like the surf of the sea driven by the wind. Let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. James 1.8 being what? A double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James 4, if you go back to verse 8, this is a uh, seamless letter. James is picking up things he said earlier. And he's saying, look, if you want to overcome the problems in the fellowship and in your own life, James 4.8, you've got to purify, you've got to wash your hands, cleanse your hands, and purify your heart. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and uh, he was in repentance before the Lord, that's what he asked the Lord to do. He asked the Lord to purify him. John eleven fifty five 55 says, Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near, and many people went up to Jerusalem from the rural areas before the Passover to cleanse themselves ritually. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that could defile the body and the spirit, and thus accomplish holiness out of reverence for God. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. So there are, in this particular fellowship, in this time, as James addresses them, he's not making a blanket statement. He's saying, look, if you've got a sin problem, then you've got to start with cleansing. You've got to ask the Lord to cleanse you, but you've got to be serious about washing your hands. How many of you like to make sure everybody's had their hands washed? Did you wash your hands? My parents and grandparents used to say that to me. Now I say that to my kid. You wash your hands? Sometimes you walk into the table. You wash your hands? <laughs> right? That's sometimes what we just need to do. We need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, I've gotten dirty this week. Have you ever been in a conversation? You're at work and maybe bad language is flying and somebody tells a dirty joke and you're just like, Ugh. or maybe you went in and you started to watch a movie and maybe you went with some people to this movie and the movie starts to play and you're like, uh-oh, this is going south quickly. I feel a bit soiled. I may need to be rebaptized. <laughs> Amen. This is the point. There's a painting in the Cathedral of Lübeck, Germany, 
titled The Lament of Jesus Christ Against the Ungrateful World. The text reads, You call me master and obey me not. You call me light and see me not. You call me the way and walk me not. You call me life and live me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair and love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. And there are, of course, people probably in this early church who had a said faith. And so James is after them. And he says in verse 9, be miserable. That's wretched. Realize your own misery and repent. Mourn. That's the Greek word for grieve and weep. It means to sob and wail aloud. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Now, some people read the book of James and say, okay, really, James? Are we supposed to walk around as these mourning? Is this where this idea came from that nobody can smile in church? You got to walk in. <laughs> Maybe. But look, there should be laughter in the church. There should be joy. Think about it. The fruits of the Holy Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, right? We go down those and we say, that's what I want. But these people weren't walking in the Spirit. And so James is addressing a church that's lost its way and saying, look, first you got to mourn. If you want to get the fruits back in your life, mourn over your sin. Mourn over what you've allowed to happen in your fellowship. Mourn over what you've perhaps even perpetrated. The road to healing is repentance and brokenness. A contrite heart, the Lord will what? He will bless. He won't despise it. And so I think James is taking almost the position of an Old Testament prophet and saying, stop laughing at the wrong things. You need to mourn over what's taken place. Yes, this is filled with bite. To the Corinthian church, Paul wrote, there was sexual sin going on in the church, and he said, you've become arrogant. You've not mourned instead, 1 Corinthians 5.2, in order that the one who has done this might be removed from your midst. There are things that we need to mourn over. Not everything is funny. I heard someone say, Lord, help me to laugh at the right things at the right time. <laughs> Amen. That's what we need to learn. There's a time to laugh and a time to mourn. There's some people who laugh at the wrong times, at the wrong things. And James, addressing a church that's lost its way, says it's not a time to laugh. It's a time to mourn. Then you'll find the joy of the Lord and it will be your strength. I want to take you to one more parallel passage. It's found in Luke 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at Luke 18 and look at verse 9. Luke 18, 9. This is Jesus speaking. And here's what it says. <clears throat> He also told this parable, Luke 18, 9, to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Luke 18, 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, 
swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax gatherer, verse 13, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be what? He'll be exalted. Do you think James listened to Jesus' sermons? I think so. Final verse is found in James 4, verse 10. Before we read it, I heard J. Vernon McGee tell a story. He, say, he said, I observed a lifeguard once as he hit a drowning fellow with his fist and knocked him out. The lifeguard explained that the drowning man was struggling and that he could not help him until he gave up. McGee says, I think sometimes God gives us the fist so that we just give up and let him take over. Close quote. I think sometimes God just gives us the fist. You know what I'm saying? My beloved brethren. Shapoom. Or as someone put it, sometimes God does a pow and we say, wow. That's what the meaning of a powwow is, if you didn't know. And then finally, James says, Humble yourselves, James 4.10, in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you, and he will lift you up. The old Maranatha song is apropos. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up Higher and higher, and he will lift you up. That's simple, but so difficult. Because if it was easy, everybody be doing it. If it was easy, James wouldn't, wouldn't have written James chapter 4. But he says, if you want to be lifted up, humble yourself. In his sight. So the rapid fire bullet points are submission, moral purity, internal devotion, guard your heart, repent daily, humble yourself in his sight, and he will lift you up. As Jesus put it in Luke 14 11, everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Oh, the bitter shame and sorrow that a time could ever be when I let the Savior's pity plead in vain and proudly answered, all of self and none of thee. Yet he found me, I beheld him bleeding on the accursed tree, heard him pray, forgive them, Father. And my wistful heart said faintly, some of self and some of thee. Day by day, his tender mercy healing, helping, full and free, brought me lower while I whispered, none of self and all of thee. Father, thank you so much. For the book of James, it is indeed the book of Frank. <laughs> but it is so good. 
And Lord, it's so freeing to know that you are so available to us. And you want us to experience the joy of salvation, the fruits of the Spirit, a love that maybe we've never known before. But there is a key, there's a doorway James has revealed. And this early church, no doubt, was losing to the enemy. They, they had given him a foothold and the, the fruit was bitter, at least in some cases. And there may be those of you who are here this morning and there's been some bitter fruit in your life and it's all about a lack of obedience. You just have to face it. It's all about the fact that you haven't done things God's way. But the good news is that the Lord is faithful and he invites his people even after discipline, even after maybe reaping something that's not too sweet, a remedy for the soul. Hey, listening family, if you're new to Walk in Truth, my name is Michael Lance. I'm the senior pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona in Southern California. Hey, recently I've written a book called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It shows you how to put on what God has provided so that you can stand strong in the spiritual battle and stand strong against temptation with the resources that God provides. This book is available at the store at walkintruth.com. Go to walkintruth.com, click on the store, click on the book. I'll get you a signed copy and your donation will help support Walk in Truth and help us reach out to more people. Again, the book is Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God, available at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.